Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 8 of Genesis chapter 1. And we're continuing to look at verses 3 through 5. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. As we were discussing in our last Bible study, we noticed that God created the light first, and then, on day four, he attached the light to the light bearers, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And from that point on, the light bearers brought the light and were completely tied to the light. But light existed as a substance before the light bearers. And we, we thought that was interesting. We know that God um, did that historically. That That's a fact. God first created light, and then he created the celestial bodies as the light bearers. Well, we also saw that the Lord has done a similar thing spiritually. And this would be, of course, one of the reasons why God would create in this order. What I mean is, why did not God create the sun, moon, and stars on day one and say, let there be light, as he created the light bearers? And the reason is that everything instructs us, everything teaches us. And we learn that the biblical history is a historical parable. And it teaches us of the gospel, of God's program concerning salvation. And we've learned recently, in just the last several years, that the Bible insists that Christ died for sin, made atonement for the sins of his people from the foundation of the world. And the Bible also relates light to salvation. Psalm 27, verse 1, clearly links the two together. And here, there's light first. That is, there's salvation first, and spiritually. And then later, um, after God first creates the light, he creates the light bearers, sun, moon, and stars. Well, God first provides salvation for his elect through the Lord Jesus dying and and making payment and rising from the dead to justify all those that he died for, that uh, it was an acceptable sacrifice. Then later, God ties the salvation already uh, wrought, already uh, worked for, 
the, the finished work of Christ already accomplished from the point of the world's foundation, that light, God ties salvation to his word and to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who will some 11,000 years later, after the creation, enter into human history. It's really a wonderful picture of God's magnificent salvation program and of the doctrine. It's a confirmation of the doctrine that we have learned at the time of the end as God opened up this information, uh, a part of that information that had been sealed up until the final stage of Earth's history, the time of the end, of Christ finishing all the work, uh, making payment for sin at the foundation of the world. That's when he was the lamb slain. That's when salvation was finished. Insofar as he made payment for all the sins of his people, that meant God could never destroy those people. He could never not save those people. He he was obligated to save each and every one of them because their sins were already paid for. And, and therefore, God could not destroy them. They could not die in sin as unsafe people. Their sins were paid for. There was salvation already. And as we mentioned last time, this is how God created the world. He created the world already with the works accomplished and finished and performed by the Lord Jesus Christ as though the lamb has been slain and his blood, his blood is um, in the basin and it's already available and now as time unfolds, uh, God just dips his word, as it were, as the hyssop into the blood and applies it to this one and that one that he had already chosen to become saved and whose sins were already paid for. And, and therefore, God guaranteed that they would become saved. And the first one we can identify would be Abel. And God later speaks of his overall salvation program, and he starts with Abel, from the blood of righteous Abel unto Zacharias. Beginning with Abel, early on, God applied the blood, the blood that was shed already as Jesus was that lamb that was already slain, and the blood made available for the word of God to make application to the soul of Abel. And that's what happened as uh, Abel's offering was acceptable because Abel was trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. The faith of Christ had saved him. The blood of Christ had washed away his sin and, and God found the first of the elect as he would then continue from Abel to save 
the large number of people, uh, perhaps as many as 200 million throughout the entire history of the world. Well, this is an important point. And again, remember that verse in Hebrews chapter 9 that says, Without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And it's an insurmountable problem. It's an insurmountable difficulty that those who insist, no, 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 it's all speaking of principle. Christ shed his blood uh, at the foundation of the world in principle. God uh, knew that Jesus would die at the cross and therefore he could apply uh, the, the shed blood of Christ to Abel and Noah because it was done in principle. No, the Bible doesn't speak of the shed blood in principle. It makes a matter-of-fact statement. Without shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. You must first shed the blood. The lamb must be slain. In Egypt, when God used that historical picture, when the plague of God, of the death of the firstborn, was going through, and God told the Israelites to slay the lamb and to apply the blood with the hyssop to the doorpost. Well, the lamb had to be slain first and and then that blood covered the house of the Israelites and the messenger of death passed by. Well, that's how it is concerning salvation. Jesus had to be killed first. Then you can have his blood because the life is in the blood and he he must have been slain to make the blood available. You cannot say, well, Jesus will die later, 11,000 years later, but we have his blood available now and we'll apply his blood to Abel and to Noah and to all these saints, David and, and, and so forth, over thousands of years. Still, no blood was shed according to this doctrine that insists Jesus died at the cross. No blood was shed, but there's all kinds of people, not, not great numbers as will come later, but still 7,000 in Israel that did not bow the knee at one point. There, there were thousands of people. What about the people of Nineveh? In the Old Testament, God saved many of the Ninevites. All these people entered into heaven when they died in their, in their spirit. And they're all there and no blood has been shed. No blood has been shed for them. And so how could their sins be remitted? According to the Bible, it's not possible. No, you must first have the shedding of blood. Then you can have remission of sins. And that's the order of things. And again, the understanding that God's elect have at this time. Well, yeah, the Bible says, and let's read it. We've made reference to it many times. 
so far. In Revelation 13, it says in verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. That's referring to the beast, and that's not a good thing. This is a chapter dealing with the Great Tribulation, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, and the Lamb would be the Lord Jesus, slain from the foundation of the world. Now that's a biblical statement that Christ was slain. Remember John the Baptist called him a lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. And the lamb was slain at the foundation of the world. And and again, this would agree with Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 3. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And it is interesting, and we'll talk about this when we get to uh, day seven of the creation week, that first seventh day, and God makes it a Sabbath. He establishes it as a day of rest already because the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The completed work, the completed atonement was finished. And so God, right from the very start, could establish that seventh day as a day of rest, a day of resting in the completed work of Jesus. All right, let, let's uh, go back to Genesis 1 and verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. There was salvation. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. The darkness indicated the uh, necessity for salvation. Man had fallen into sin. God foreknew this. And darkness was across the face of the earth. Well, God brought light. And God divided the light from the darkness. Uh, Ecclesiastes tells us that light excelleth darkness. The light expels the darkness. It removes the darkness. And let's take a look at this word divided. It's Strong's number 914. It's a word that God uses to describe making separation. And the way it's used in the Bible involves when God determines, when his law decrees that a commandment is given, you're to distinguish between clean and unclean, between holy and profane. This is what divides one from the other. Well, it's always best to read the scriptures to see how a word is used, and let's do that. Let's go to Leviticus 20, starting in verse 24. And here it's translated as sept, the word, the Hebrew word 914 is found three times in these three verses. Two times it's translated as separated and one time as put difference. 
put difference. In Leviticus 20, verse 24, But I have said unto you, You shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am Jehovah your God, which have separated you from other people. Ye shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean, and between unclean fowls and clean. And shall not make your souls abominable by beast, or by fowl, or by any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And you shall be holy unto me, for I, Jehovah, am holy, and have severed you from other people. I'm sorry, I, I think the word severed is also that same word. Let me read verse 26 again. And you shall be holy unto me, for I, Jehovah, am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. God has divided the Israelites from the nations of the world. Um, that is said using the same Hebrew word. Also in First Kings chapter 8, as uh, the Lord is moving Solomon to speak these words, in First Kings eight fifty-two and 53, that thine eyes may be open unto the supplication of thy servant and unto the supplication of thy people Israel to hearken unto them in all that they call for unto thee. For thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth to be thine inheritance, as thou spakest by the hand of Moses thy servant, when thou broughtest our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord Jehovah. So God chose Israel and separated them from all the people of the earth. In the Old Testament time, for many centuries, the outward representative of the kingdom of God was the nation of Israel. Of all the nations in the world, only Israel was representative of God's kingdom. The people of India were not his representatives, or Syria, or of Babylon, or of Egypt, or Ethiopia. It was none of those nations, or any other nation in the world at that time, only Israel. And and God is the one who made that determination by calling them by his name and and working through them and giving them his word and and moving prophets of old to uh to speak his word and and uh, to bring his divine revelation and and by giving them laws as he instructed Moses and many of the prophets and these laws made distinction the, the law of God caused this separation to occur all the more. For example, when in Leviticus, God was speaking of clean and unclean, animals and fowls. Well, the people of the nations did not view animals as clean and unclean. They just saw animals that they could eat. And, and so they ate the pig as well as a cow or, or any other animal. 
It, it did not matter to the nations, the Gentiles of the world. But God separated the animals from clean and unclean. And then he commanded the Jews, a people that he had separated from the nations, you are to eat only these animals, these certain clean animals and not the others. And that further distinguished the Israelites from the nations. And actually, that's what God's law accomplished again and again. The Israelites were circumcised. The people of the nations were not circumcised. The law of God, the word of God, made separation between God's people and others. The more laws God gave, the more the separation was noticeable the more the Israelites stood out from the other nations. God gave them um, laws concerning sacrifices that the other nations did not have. God gave them feast days and, and all kinds of laws. And this uh, served to highlight the difference between the people of God and the people of the other nations. And now this is the fault also that God found with Israel later on because God, one of the big points of separation between Israel and all the nations was that Israel was to serve and worship God alone. The other nations, well, they might give recognition to Jehovah but they would also have no problem uh, giving recognition to any other idol, any other god. It was, it was all the same to them. A god is a god. But Israel was to be different. They were to worship the one true God of the Bible and to observe his laws. And this would cause a distinction, a very definite distinction to appear and the nations of the world would realize there's something different about them. Well, in Ezekiel, God says in Ezekiel chapter 22, and in verses 25, well, I'll start reading in verse 24 of Ezekiel 22. Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference. And that's the Hebrew word Strong's number 914. They, they have not separated. They have not divided. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths and I am profaned among them. You see, 
this is the temptation for the corporate body, for those that profess to be the people of God, that God has given laws that makes them quite different than everybody else. Oh, but in, in a time of apostasy, in a time of falling away, in a time when the professed people of God are lusting after the world, they, they really desire to be like the world. They, they want the things that the world has. Well, the, you see, the problem is the world sees this big difference between them and these professed people of God. And so the prophets, which we would say today are the pastors and the elders and the deacons and the bishops and the popes and the, um, uh, TV evangelists and or whoever is bringing the word of God because they're performing the role of a prophet and declaring the word of God, the prophets begin to uh, lose sight of the distinction between clean and unclean, profane and holy. They begin to lose sight of the truths of the word of God, the Bible. Now here, here's what God says of His people in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. They should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So the people of God are called out of darkness into the light. And the light is salvation. The light identifies with the word of God, with the Lord Jesus Christ. The light divides from the darkness. God has given his word, and he entrusted it to Israel, to Judah of old, and he entrusted it, in the New Testament to the churches and congregations to be its caretakers and the church was to be the uh, like a shining light the light on the hill to shine into the world uh, to shine into the darkness to show the difference the difference that the word of God makes and God gave the church laws and commandments just as he did Israel of old. He he gave the church baptism and the Lord's Supper and uh, he gave the church doctrine most of all. Uh, for instance, he, he uh, revealed to the church Sunday's the Sabbath. You're to worship on Sunday, mine holy day. You're not to do work. You're not to do uh, or treat that day as other days of the week. And for centuries... To a large degree, the church was obedient concerning that law. And as the church followed that law and showed forth that law, they were showing light to the nations. And it's why there were laws on the books called blue laws in America, where business was not to operate on Sunday as other days of the week. You know, if you go back just... 
several decades, you'll find that sports like baseball in many cities did not play on Sunday. Yeah, imagine that. A professional sports team that would not play on Sunday. Why not? Well, because the people wouldn't have it at that time. But there's been a wearing away. There's been a loss of distinction. And it started with the church. The church began to lose sight of the light of the word of God. Darkness replaced the light. And the separation began to disappear between the church and the world. You, you could not tell one from the other. There, there was no difference between clean and unclean, holy and profane. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.